So, before we get into the message, um, I have something that I need to do. Last year, um, one of my favorite Sundays here last year was we did a pulpit exchange with Mount Zion Baptist and Pastor Marcus, a black pastor, preached here and really raised the roof here. It was, it was wonderful. And I, I wanted to make sure that we didn't just exchange pulpits, but that it was in friendship and relationship. And so when they came over here, his wife sang, we took, our family took their family out to lunch. It was wonderful, wonderful day. And then the next Sunday I went over there and I preached over there and whoo, they were talking back to me, man. It was great. It was exciting. And, um, and then their family took our family out to lunch again, a second Sunday. And so there's just a, there's been a real friendship there. I'm hoping actually that we can make another pulpit exchange happen this week. And so when the events of this past week um, broke out and the tragic killing on Monday and then the response and the riots and uh, all kinds of frustration and anger, we got a message um, from Pastor Marcus. And here's what, here's what the message was to the rest of the MP3 group, which is the pastoral um, team. There's a whole group called the MP3, and there's a leadership team that I'm on. And, but the message he gave to us was this. Would you guys stand with us and say something this Sunday about this? And uh, I'm like, you know, in these situations, it's really hard to know exactly what to say or what to do. And usually I do not respond to these things that are, I feel like are the devil doing things. And I try to just, we're going to lift up Jesus. And as Jesus is lifted up, racism is going to be melted away. And so um, that's kind of, that, but, but he specifically asked that we would do something, that we would say something. And so um, Thursday morning of this week, Marcio Sierra, who's the pastor at Lighthouse, he's in charge of the MP3, and um, he is very, very busy. So to help him out a little, we were all going to meet on a Zoom call Thursday at noon. To help him out a little, I just, I just started writing out some thoughts in the morning of what we might say together, what we might declare together. And, and so I, I put that together and emailed it off to him. And then we had the Zoom call that that at noon and, and these leaders and, and they made some changes to what I had said to make it better. And then I said, but you know, but before we put this in the paper, it was going to be in the Wisconsin State Journal. Before you do that, you know, let, let Marcus respond to this. And so he sent it to Marcus and Marcus is like, yeah, he said, that's not going to really work that well for the black community. And here's why. And da, 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 da. And so, so, and then he gave a statement that would work, that, that was given by some Virginia pastors in 2017. And, but it was just this long thing. And, and so we were thinking, yeah, let's use that. And then and Marcio said back, you know, but that's not, uh, it's not personal. It's not from the heart. It's just somebody else's thing. And, and so he said, I'm just going to, I'm going to work on, on something new that we can, we can agree on. And so, uh, so I, I helped work on that, helped make another one that maybe we could agree on and just said, Marcio, this is just to help you and you do whatever you want to do. And we're going to be part of that. 
Um, part of his letter is that on June 14th, the pastors in this region are going to, everybody that signs this letter that will be in the state journal, we're going to say something publicly. We're going to pray publicly for our nation and for the ra racial divide. And we are absolutely going to be part of that in two weeks. But, but there's, more, there's more to the story. We, we have a, an African-American woman, young adult, who has moved to Minneapolis, but she's a very strong part of our church. And Alice reached out to her and just said, hey, we love you. We're praying for you. We, we know this is a difficult time. And let us know if there's any way that we can serve you. Let us know. And she texted right back and said, as a matter of fact, there is, there is something you could do. Would, would you have Tom address the whole community? about this. And I'd do, I would do anything for her. I'd do anything for Marcus. I would do anything for her. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. But who am I? A white pastor? What, what do I have to say in all of this? And then I had an experience yesterday morning, very early in the morning. And uh, I saw something that I hadn't seen before. We make fun of Pastor Joe because he, when God speaks to him, he uses movies. And we're like, you know, shouldn't God be using the Bible? Why is he using movies? And uh, so here I am. The Lord speaks to me through a scene in a movie. The movie is Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures is about the black women, the mathematicians that were just used greatly um, in our NASA program and and this is in the late 50s. And one woman specifically named Katherine Johnson, who was the most brilliant mathematician that basically solved how we could go into space. And, um, and the scene is, uh, it's, if you want to YouTube it, it's the bathroom. It's the bathroom scene. And... Kevin Costner, who's the head of NASA, he's got this team together of all these white males and this one black female, and she, she has been gone, and she's coming back, and he, in front of everybody, says, where were you? What are you doing? Don't you know I need you to be all in? You can't. You leave for 20 minutes at a time and twice a day, and you're just gone, and we need you here. Don't you get it? We don't have time for breaks. And then she says... Let me tell you where I've been. And she explains the colored bathrooms are 20 minutes away. And then she, she just says what it feels like to work here. And the coffee pot, I can't drink from the coffee pot. And, and, and I'm, I'm already underpaid. And, and she's just voicing this, the feelings that she has. And all these white men are just stunned because they never thought of life through her eyes. And then the next scene is Kevin Costner um, t tearing down the sign of for the colored bathrooms, and they're all they're all gathered around. He has them all gathered around. He's just whacking this sign down, and uh, until it falls to the ground, and he turns to everybody, and he says, "We're not having any more white bathrooms and colored bathrooms." He says, uh, "Everyone at NASA pees the same color," and, that, and, that, and that's the end of that scene. Here's what the Lord spoke to me. 
Part of Katherine Johnson's frustration was not just that there was colored and white bathrooms and that her life was very inconvenienced because she had to go so far and, and that her life was simply more difficult than other lives. Part of the frustration and anger she was experiencing was her powerlessness to change it. The only one that could change it was the white leadership. The only one that had the authority to take that sign down was white leadership. And I, I began to see my own role of why it's very important as a white leader that I need to put myself out there. I need to do something. Well, I found out it's really hard because everybody's so sensitive in this area that if you say it just not quite right, or to, and so it's, it's way easier to say nothing and do nothing. But the Lord is being very clear with me. I want you to say something. I want you to stand up and I want you to address this thing. And so I wrote, I changed what I had said before. I made it more personal and I sent it off to our pastoral staff and just said, this is what, and, and the whole thing was we. And, and so I just, I, how do you guys feel about this? Da, 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 da. And, and uh, so three, three of the 10 wrote back and said, yeah, I think you should do this. And one uh, said, just questioned it. It, it, it. Is this the right message? And what about this? And what about that? And they were very good questions that, that need to be asked that, that makes me, made me hesitate. And then five of our staff didn't say anything one way or the other. And so I realized this morning, I can't speak for us. All I can do is say for me. And I, and I really think this is about this area for all of us. I think God needs to deal with us personally. So we're going to be part of a corporate thing. Whatever Marcio comes out with, we're going to be part of. Because even if it's not perfect, we need to say something. And we need to pray, even if it's not right. But this morning, I need to say something. And so I've got my own little personal statement. And I want to go, I want to go public. So this is an open letter to pastors who are African-American and to the whole African-American community, I want to express my deep sorrow for the suspicion and double standard we have held towards you in this land. I repent for this evil and ask for your forgiveness. This prejudice didn't end with the Civil War. It didn't end with the Civil Rights Movement. And it didn't end when Barack Obama was elected president. The tragic events that continue to happen serve as evidence of this reality. I repent of my own racism and fear, both conscious and unconscious. I repent of my reluctance to be an agent of healing and reconciliation when my voice was needed. Jesus didn't just come to give eternal life. He came to remove the walls that divide us from one another. So I resolve to preach, teach, and advocate against the sins of racism. I resolve to lead in the way of love and to seek ways to heal the divisions that separate races and cultures in our region. I resolve to listen to those who have been wounded by racism. I resolve 
to pray fervently for God's healing and reconciliation. I resolve to help our church become more hospitable and welcoming communities to diverse people. May Jesus, our Savior and Good Shepherd, heal your wounds and have mercy on us all. Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? We are in a series in 1 Peter called Precious Faith, and today's text is chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Here we go. As you come to him, speaking of Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious... But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. We humble ourselves before it. Lord, you have something you, that is on your heart today. That's, that's probably not going to be that easy to hear. Please, God, would you speak? Could we know that you're speaking and not just Tom? Could we know that this is the word of the Lord that applies to me and not just uh, some general thing that, well, uh, yeah, my neighbor needs to do that? Lord, only you can do that. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to help us hear what you want to speak to each one of us and to us corporately. Lord, we love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message is Precious Faith, Our Assignment. Point one is the living stone. So Peter calls Jesus this living stone chosen of God who God has made the cornerstone which is the first building in the first stone in a temple or in a house. It is the most important stone because every other stone has to align to it. And he calls it a living stone which of course is an oxymoron. Stones are very solid but they're not alive. 
And things that are alive oftentimes are not solid. But Jesus is both. He's solid and he is alive. And when we line up with him, when we come in line with the cornerstone, we become living stones. We become, we are built in to this temple, into this building. We join. His life becomes our life. His solidness becomes our solidness. And he lines us up with him. Peter, of course, is the one that Jesus spoke to, and and this is how he got his name in Matthew 16. Who do you say that I am? And Jesus said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, And Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this, but the Father who is in heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the word for rock there is Petra, and it means bedrock. It's a mass of stone upon this rock. And I call you, Simon, I call you Peter. And Peter is Petros, which is stone. Petra, bedrock. He calls Peter Petros, which is a stone. And so Jesus is the foundation The revelation that he is the Christ. That's the foundation of Christianity. That Jesus is the Messiah. Paul calls him the foundation in 1 Corinthians 3. There's no other foundation except the one God laid himself. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is our salvation. It's how all salvation starts. But here, Jesus is called not Petra, but Petros. He is the foundation stone, but he's also The first stone in the building. He is the one that is the example that we need to line up to. That we become living stones as we line up with him. Jesus is our substitute. He did work for us that no one else could do. But Jesus is also our example. He's the first stone in this building that we need to line up with. Peter then gives three scriptures from the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. First, that he is, Psalm 118, 22, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The, 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 this is prophesied uh, hundreds of years before Jesus comes. And the prophecy means this, the Jewish leadership's going to reject him. The one the Jewish leaders reject is actually going to be God's chosen one. Just because, however man feels about him, God chose him, not man. Man wouldn't have chosen him, but God did. And the one that man rejects is the one that God chose. Jesus was going to be rejected by the Jews, the Jewish leadership. The second one he gives is Isaiah 28, 16. Behold, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a precious cornerstone, and he that believes in him will not be ashamed. Now, this can be confusing as you read different translations because in, in our translation here, it's he that believes will not be ashamed. Another translation says will not be disappointed. The actual Hebrew word in, in, in Isaiah 28, 16 literally means, um, and it's translated that way in many versions, will not make haste or will not be in a hurry, that there's going to be a rest in the sun. So you say, Pastor Tom, which is it? Can't, why can't they decide? Well, here's the thing. 
there's only so many Hebrew words. There's like 20,000 Hebrew words in the ancient Hebrew. And one word would be used to mean many different things. So which is it? Is it that won't be ashamed or won't be disappointed or, or won't be in a hurry? Which one is it? It's all of them. It's all three. Jesus is God's answer for the human race. Those who put their trust in him will be chosen just like he was chosen and they will not regret it. Now those who reject him will stumble and fall to those who are disobedient. He says, um, in, in chapter 2 here, in this passage, to this they were also destined. They stumble over the stone because they were disobedient, and to this they were also destined. Now what that means, the body of Christ has two opinions. There's one group, and I, have, I know pastors in this group. I love these pastors. And what they believe about this is they were destined, some people were destined to disobey. They were destined to not believe. They were before the beginning of time. And God also destined others to believe, others to obey. And so we are living out what God predestined beforehand. And so there's a whole whole movement in the in, in the body of Christ that believes that and they believe that's what the scripture says and if we're going to go by what God says then that's how we're going to do it and I, I understand their position. I understand their scriptures. I love them. I don't, I'm not in that camp. So what does that verse mean then, Pastor Tom? Well, here's what I think it means. That God predestined that Jesus was going to be the cornerstone and that if you don't, if you reject him, you're going to stumble over him. This is Isaiah 8, 14, that he's going to be a stone that makes men stumble and fall. What was predestined was not that they wouldn't believe and that they would disobey. What was predestined was the result of disbelieving and disobeying, which is be, that you're going to continue to stumble in darkness. So why, why would God set up this stone, have this Savior that people... Stumble over, and why do people stumble over Jesus? Simple, human pride. I don't want a need to be saved. I don't want there to have to be a savior. I'm a good person on my own. So pride stumbles over Jesus. Why else? Human opinion, human philosophy. I don't think there should be one way to heaven. I think there should be many ways to heaven. I think every way should be equal. I think we're all touching different parts of the elephant. Sorry, that's not how it is. You, you're not God. You didn't get to decide how it's going to be. God decided before time, I'm going to lay G, I'm going to bring Jesus into the human race and salvation, mercy is going to be poured out. I'm going to choose everybody that believes in him. Everybody that follows him is going to get mercy and everybody that doesn't is going to continue to stumble in darkness. But that's not final. God is inviting everybody in darkness to come back to the light. Just because you stumble over Jesus in the past doesn't mean you need to stumble over him now. You can come. God is actually devising ways like the coronavirus, like all of the chaos in our world so that we recognize we need help. We need a savior. Maybe we're not that good 
Maybe we need Jesus. And so, and I'm not saying that every religion is equally dark. There's a lot of Jesus in every religion. There's light in every religion, and God blesses everybody as much as he can. But sorry, Jesus is the light. You want to go into light? You come closer to Jesus, not farther away. He is the light. You want to walk in light? Then you need, to walk to, you need to walk in Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. You need to come to Jesus. He is the living stone chosen by God. <clears throat> Point two, the need to own our part in the army of God. So it turns out we are not just a family that has been given our identity from our father that the Father has, we talked about this all last week, it's all about identity and what God speaks about us and that we're his beloved, favored sons and daughters. And, but turns out, we're not just a family with an identity. We are also called to be an army with an assignment. And this idea of lining up with our living stone, who is an example is, is all about our assignment, that we are an army together. God has something that he wants us to do together. But you have to accept that you're part of an army and not just part of a family. Well, this doesn't go over that well. People want an identity. They want to be loved. They want to be accepted. They want to be favored. And it feels good to be in a family where you come as you are and you're accepted and you're, you're embraced. But it's not as fun to be part of an army and have an assignment where you're supposed to do something. And so we tend to move towards identity and family and away from army and assignment. Well, here's the problem with that. If we are only willing to accept our identity, but not our assignment, if we're only willing to be family and not army, we will never go in to the promised land of what God has for us in this hour. We will, we will go back to the wilderness. And in the wilderness, you don't have to fight in the wilderness. You just have to survive. I'm, I'm beloved. I'm favored. God provides for me. Life is okay. No, we're not taking any new ground. We're not winning any battles, but we're, we're still loved. And God's calling for something else in this hour. He wants to advance his kingdom. And to advance his kingdom, we're going to have to be the army. We're going to have to say yes to, to, uh, to army, and we're, we're going to have to say Give me, give me my assignment. What do you want me to do? How am I supposed to be part of your army? There's no draft, only volunteers. Of course, this is the big problem, isn't it? Jesus looks on the world in Matthew 9, and he has compassion because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What do you think Jesus is thinking about America right now? I think this, his heart is filled with compassion. People are harassed and helpless, and they're just wandering around without a shepherd. And so he turns to his disciples. He says, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will raise up workers for his harvest because the harvest is great, but the workers are few. 
God, God only raises up volunteers and only on his terms. See, the way to think about an assignment is that it's a privilege. John the Baptist said, listen, I am not worthy to even unstrap his sandals. He has made me a voice in the wilderness. Are you kidding me? I am so honored and privileged to be a friend of the bridegroom and to hear his voice and to share in his ministry. What an unbelievable privilege to have an assignment. And for those that don't want an assignment, you won't have one. You got, you got to volunteer for this. You got to say yes. You got to say yes, I, I want to be in. Yes. In fact, you start praying. Pray. Father, raise me up. Father, use me. Use me. God doesn't have to use any of us. But when he chooses to use us, when he chooses to give us an assignment, it is a great privilege. He only takes volunteers. To be in God's army, and this is the big problem, you have to be willing to die. Isn't that true about joining a regular army? (laughs) Going in, when you join the army, what you're saying is, I understand what this is, I might die. (laughs) I I might not die, but I might die. And I, I am willing to be given an assignment, whatever that assignment is, you don't tell the military what your assignment's gonna be. They tell you what your assignment is. You offer yourself, you say, I'm willing to die, and they say, we could use you in accounting. Well, I thought I, thought I would be better over here. They don't, they don't ask those questions. They tear you down of your own identity, your own thoughts, your own little ideas, and then they tell you what to do. That's how the military works. You gotta be willing to die. So Peter says here, we are living stones and we're this royal priesthood that makes spiritual sacrifices to God. He's speaking of that we are a priesthood, all of us, not just the pastors, but everybody has been given a direct line because of Jesus to to be a priest. We're all priests. We're all making offerings and sacrifices to God, of worship to God. And you say, yep, Pastor Tom, my worship is my singing. God's given me a voice, and I sing for him, and I I sing in the shower, and I put a CD on, and I, I sing at home, and that's how I express worship. That's fantastic. And others, it's like, yeah, singing's not my thing, but I give. I give financially. God's, God's given me a way to make money, and uh, I, I just, I, I know it's important. Everything needs money, and so I, I give. That's fantastic. And other people are like, you know, I'm not the song thing or the money thing, but I give my time, and I, I serve, and I'm willing. I serve at the food pantry, and I, I do this and that, and I give my time to God, and that's how I worship God. Well, all of those are great if they're done for the right reason. So Romans chapter 12, here's verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We are those who have received mercy. Paul just took 11 chapters to talk about God's mercy towards us. That we all deserve hell. We're all equally sinners. The law actually condemns us even more. And, but God in Christ has shown mercy to the human race. That is in his heart. He wants to show mercy. This mercy is being offered in Christ. We need to come to Christ. And so 11 chapters. Therefore, 
Here's the response to mercy that we've received. We are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices is an oxymoron just like living stones. Living sacrifices, sacrifices are dead. Sacrifices, you kill something. So that for a sacrifice to be alive, it means offer yourself as dead to yourself and alive to God. This is what true worship is. This is what it looks like to offer yourself, to die to yourself, to be available to God for whatever it is he wants. Now, I'm going to submit this to you. You're not going to be a living stone fit into this temple without being a living sacrifice first. You don't get to choose. Well, I don't sing. I don't, God knows I don't have a good voice. I don't sing. I, I, I worship him in other ways. Listen, God doesn't understand that. God wants to hear your voice. He gave you a voice. He wants you to worship with it. I, I, I don't really, I'm, I'm a little, it's awkward for me. Well, you're dead. Get over it. Get over it. Open your mouth and sing. Open your mouth. I don't want to raise my hands. Well, you're dead. Does God want you to raise your hand? Raise your hand. We, 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 we've, well, uh, 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 my gift is worship. I sing all the time, but I don't really give. God knows I don't have money. I don't have a good job and da, 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 da. God understands that. No, he doesn't. No, you need to, you need to be all in. You need to be all in. Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be too. The idea that you're going to be in the army but not give, that's just that's not on the table. It's part of the army. You need to be all in. Am I trying to get you to give to this church? No, you do with your money what you want to. I'm just saying, if you want to be in the army, it is going to affect your checkbook. It's going to affect it. This has to be real, folks. We have to be all in. You don't get to choose one of the three. Well, I give my time. That's, that's my thing. And um, I don't, listen, it's a privilege to give our time and to be used. And, and, and maybe you're on the worship team and you give yourself and you're on the worship team or, or you, you play guitar or, or you're up here and okay, and God's using you. That is amazing. That's, that's part of your assignment. But listen, if you're not on the schedule this month, don't get offended. We don't get to choose where we're going to be used. We don't get to choose how God uses us. It says there are, there are vessels of honor, there are vessels of dishonor in a home, and, you, and the person that owns a home, he chooses whichever vessel he uses. And so if, if God uses me, awesome. If God doesn't use me, that's his privilege. All I do is offer myself. I offer myself to be used, and I serve because I'm, I'm in the army of God. God's army has a tough exterior and a tender interior. To be in a natural army, to be in the American army, oftentimes what they, what they want to do is harden you. They want to toughen you up. And they make you tough on the outside, and oftentimes the result of it is you become hard on the inside. Because you just, you, 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 don't, you, you don't get to be tender. God's army is a little different than that. God's army is going to make you tough-skinned, where it's really hard to offend you, and tender-hearted, 
where you're moved quickly to compassion for other people and what other people are going through. And, and you're, you're tender to the voice of God and to what God is saying to you. You're, you're tough and you are tender. Now, I think we get an idea of why we need to live dead to self in this because it's exactly opposite of human nature. Human nature given to itself, is very thin-skinned, offended by everything. I need to be treated a certain way. If you're around me, you know, don't, don't say this, don't do this, or I'll be offended with you. And we tend to be very hard-hearted, very judgmental towards other people. You know, what's wrong with her? Why can't she get with the program? Why can't they do this? Why can't they do this? It, it's, just, it's just opposite in the kingdom. This is why we need to be dead to self. See, to be a living stone in the army... You say, Pastor Tom, I'm born again. I've given my life to Jesus, so I'm alive. Okay, you are, you are alive in Christ, but are you living in that life? Because Jesus' life is resurrection life. Resurrection life means something, something died. <laughs> and and we, Paul says, I die daily. Well, to be in the army, you, you, gotta, you just got to get over yourself. And God, by his grace, will make us tough, and tender. Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds have air. Birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Whoa. That's tough. The church in America has been very soft. God, I'll do anything, but me first. Permit me first. God, I love you, but, but permit me first. And you know what God does? He's just like, okay. God backs away, doesn't he? You, you go ahead and try that. Me first, me first, me first. Jesus said, listen, if you want an assignment, if you want to be in the army, then you're going to have to set your hand to the plow and you're going to have to go forward and you're going to have to press through all of the barriers, all of the offenses, all of the things that are going wrong. Why? Because when you're in the middle of a battle, there is no time for self-pity. There is no time for self-loathing. There is no time for self-promotion. We're in the middle of a battle, folks. And we just, we need to get over ourselves. And say, this isn't about me. This isn't about whether I want to do it or I'm right. Or... Could you imagine somebody in the military? They've been given orders to leave here and go here. And they say, you know, I was thinking that I would be better used over here. Can you imagine that in the military? They don't, they don't, you don't even understand the military. That's why they take you through basic training. That's why they tear down your own right to do everything. Because the military means we need you here. Yes, sir. I will go there. I had to laugh. We have this pastor's uh, fellowship that I'm part of, and it's, there's this advertising when people need churches and when pastors are looking for places. And there was this post by this pastor, this is years ago now, and he said this, that he was available to be somebody's pastor, 
And he was willing to do God's will anywhere in the Northwest. <laughs> it's just, it's hilarious. It's an oxymoron. You can't be open to do God's will and then tell him where it needs to be. <laughs> you, you just, you're either open to God's will or not. You, you don't dictate to God. So God is, I believe, toughening us up. And here's why I believe it's God and not just Pastor Thomas excited. I got done with this message. And what the, I was, Wednesday is my study day. And usually I have the message by noon because I'm up so early on Wednesdays. But this week, because of a number of things, I didn't get done until 5 p.m. And so I finally get the message, and then I have to send it off to our computer people and all the different places that the message needs to be, go to. And, and so I send it off at 5, and I go home. But because we're in the middle of this pastor's thing and we're going to make this statement, I go on my computer at home, and 15 minutes after I sent this message, a woman in our church, I would call her a prophetess, uh, every prophecy needs to be judged, but some people, man, they, when they speak, it's just like, I need to be, I need to listen because it's usually right on. And I see that there's a prophetic word from her. So I open it up and I'm going to read it to you. 15 minutes after I sent this message off, here's the word. I believe this time of incubation, not isolation, but incubation has been a time of preparation for the church before a mighty outpouring of his spirit. During intercession, I often hear the sound of many boots marching on the gravel as the captain of the hosts prepares his end-time army to possess the land for his name and glory, an army who will advance his kingdom like no generation before. Can, can you imagine how holy that felt when I got this after I just sent this message out on the army? It's just like, oh my, oh my, something more is going on than Tom. God, God is speaking something in this hour. So that brings us to point three, our assignment. Peter says we're being built together to offer ourselves in worship to God and then to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his light, that we are to now go back into the darkness and to proclaim in the darkness who he is. Our assignment. So it happens that today is Pentecost. This is the day of Pentecost. Peter was the central figure in Pentecost. They are all waiting. They're waiting for uh, 10 days. Jesus tells them, go and wait. In Jerusalem. Let me read it to you. Um, Acts chapter 1, 4 and 5. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father, has pro my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you will receive, verse 8, power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost ends of the earth. So this is the assignment. You are to go wait. 
Don't just go out on your own. Just don't go out in your own humanistic way to try to make the world a better place. You need to receive power. This is going to be about you partnering with me. This is about me clothing you with power, and then you're going to be something in the light by my power. We're going to walk this thing together. You're going to shine forth who I am in the darkness. So they go and wait. There's 120 of them, which to me is interesting because Jesus appeared at one time to 500 men. Paul is giving the list of witnesses in 1 Corinthians 15. So he doesn't say how many women were there, just there were 500 men because men could be used as witnesses. So when he says he appeared to 500 men, there's, there's a crowd of probably at least 1,000. If children are there, they all saw him. Why are there only 120? He gave them all the same instructions. Why are only 120 still waiting? Who knows? Maybe 10 days ago, there were 1,000. But by the time it happens, see, everybody that's part of the family is not part of the army. It's just how it works. Army takes something. It, It takes a choice on your side. I'm all in. I'm all in. Toughen me up, God. Holy Spirit, toughen me up. I don't want to be soft. Toughen me up. There's 120 left. Here's what happens. Verse chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And of course, everybody wanted to know, what's going on here? This is crazy. Peter stands up and he speaks, and he says, this is the fulfillment. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. God is foreseeing a time, foreseeing a new covenant. In the old covenant, it was only the king, priest, and the prophet that had the spirit. They were all Jewish. And they were, all, they were just men. Yeah, and it didn't come on them until they were 30. You had to be 30 years old to go into ministry. So you've got older men that are Jewish are used. And God says, yep, that's the old covenant. That'll do to prepare this thing. But listen, the time's coming. I'm making a covenant where I can pour out my spirit. And it's not going to be just Jewish. It's going to be all the races. I'm going to pour out my spirit on every race. And it's not just going to be old people. It's not going to be people that are mature. They're mature enough to have the spirit rise up. No, I'm going to use sons and daughters. Get over it. And it's not just going to be men. I'm going to pour out my spirit on men and women. And they're going to prophesy. The women are going to speak. God is releasing voices. He's releasing the voice of women. He's releasing the voices of different cultures. He is releasing the voice of different generations. And frankly, folks, if we exclude any one of those groups, we'll never have the fullness of the Holy Spirit poured out here. It has to be young and old. It has to be black, white, Latino, Asian. We all need to love each other. We need to be together. We need, we need, we don't just want to be 
make it comfortable for other cultures and other races. We need them. We need them in this place. We're never going to go to fullness without the races together. And we need women, not just men. All right, can we have the worship team come on back up? Pentecost was when they celebrated the early harvest. So Pentecost was not fulfilled when they received the Spirit and they were drunk like they had wine and they felt tinglys in their body and they had spiritual gifts that they were speaking in tongues. That's not the fulfillment of Pentecost. Pentecost isn't fulfilled until Peter stands up and preaches and 3,000 people were saved. It is power with a purpose. I'm not going to tell that story. (laughs) I like that. God is reaching up, he's raising up an army. Pastor Tom, what's the assignment? To receive power, to be witnesses. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit and you're going to go out and you're going to do good, whatever that looks like. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. It's about doing good. It's about courage to speak up. It's about courage to sacrifice. The, the two verses after our text, 1 Peter 2, 2 12, tell me that this doesn't sound like the same thing. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So, I started with a movie. Let's end with a movie. Mission Impossible. So, this is how the Mission Impossible movies go. Turns out there's this, there's this group of people, they're called the IMF, Impossible Mission Force. These are, these are missions that no one knows how they could possibly be fulfilled. And so you bring in, not the regular troops, but the impossible mission force. And uh, Tom Cruise plays Ethan Hunt, and they, he gets his mission through a number of different ways. And here's how it works. They show him what the mission is. They tell him who's going to be on the team. And then ask, they ask this question. This is your mission if you choose to accept it. And then, of course, the message is going to disintegrate in five seconds because it's so secret. So Jesus stands up and he looks at his church and he says, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to preach the gospel to every single person. And then I want you to, make, I want you to baptize them and then I want you to make disciples of them, whole world. Does that sound like an impossible mission? It sure does to me. So he gives us this impossible mission. 
And then he says, now, I'm not going to send you out alone. You're going to be part of an army. Here, here are the people that are on your team. Okay, look around. This is, this is and I, don't, I don't know if that is encouraging to you or discouraging. <laughs> because we say, we say to God, Lord, I'm barely saved myself. How can I help somebody else? This is impossible. I'm, ba- I'm barely surviving as a Christian. Now you want me to reach the whole world? Impossible. God says, listen, this, I'm not changing the mission because you think it's hard. But here's, here's your team, and I'm going to give you my power. And you and I, and those that I've raised up around you, together, as the army of God, you're going to shine my light into the darkness until the whole world is affected by this. And then he says this to every one of us personally today. This is your mission if you choose to accept it. Pastor Tom, what's the assignment? Exactly what is my assignment? I don't know. Only he can tell you your specific assignment. He doesn't, you don't need to know your assignment today. You just need to know that you're willing to have an assignment. That, Lord, I'm in. Not just as a child of God, not just as an identity. I'm in the army. I'm in. I volunteer. I, I, I put an X on my chest. Me. Send me, Lord. Here am I. Send me. Because God's, he's only going to release his power to those who accept his mission. So th- th- can we stand together? This is a very different ending for Pentecost Sunday. Because <laughs> I'm not praying for everybody today. <laughs> There's no reason for you to have his power to be a witness if you're not in the army and not willing to have an assignment. <laughs> if you just want to have an identity, you're going to go back in the wilderness. Do-, do we all recognize that our world needs us to be the army of God right now? We're kind of, our world's spinning out of control, folks. Could you imagine what it would be to be an unsaved person right now and not have Jesus? The economy, racism, burnings, riots. This is a very scary world. It's time for the church to be just, not just the family, but the army of God. And so God wants to pour all power. He wants to give wind, fire, and wine. He wants to fill us to the overflowing if we're willing to embrace our assignment. So if that's you, you're, you're already a child of God, but you're saying today, Lord, I, I want, give me an assignment. I want, to be, I want to be in the army. Place me in this army. Just open your arms like this, if that's you. Lord, how do you navigate through this time? We don't know, but we do know this. You are needed in this hour. And because you are needed, we are needed. And so God, we give all of our softness to you. Our outward softness. We give you our entitlement. We give you our, it has to be a certain way. And we, Holy Spirit, would you help us to lay our lives down? Would you help us be dead to ourselves? And Lord, we've got our arms open and we're saying, line us up, living stone. We join you as living stones. Line us up, commander-in-chief, captain of the hosts. Give us your assignment today. Lord, we love you. Okay, we're going to do one song, and then we'll close.
on the day of Pentecost. And wind started blowing. Jesus, would you blow on us? Blow away the chaff, Jesus. And fire came. Tongues of fire rested on each head. There was a fire for every heart. The fire didn't just come on Peter. It didn't come just on Paul. It didn't just come on a few special people. The fire, there was fire for every single heart. Lord, would you let your fire come? Let your fire come on your army. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Lord, we, we welcome you. Fill us up, Jesus. Fill us up, Jesus. Fill us up, Jesus. Lord, you were so, they were so filled that everybody knew God had come into the room. And even as tongues had divided the world at Babylon, at the Tower of Babel, tongues, in this case, united the world. Unite this world in Jesus, Father. Unite this world at Pentecost. Pour out your Spirit. Pour out your Spirit. Lord, we haven't been good at waiting on you to receive power. We've got many ideas and we've got lots of energy. But you need us to wait. You need us to be filled and then go out in the power of the Spirit. So, Father, help us individually and as a church. Pour out your Spirit. Pour out your Spirit. Pour out your Spirit. And God, send us from here anointed to do good everywhere we go and to release those who are oppressed by the devil. Release, send us, God, and bring your power to bear on this difficult, dark world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys.